Welcome to the Clinical Podcast Series brought to you by the American Academy of Optometry Foundation. I'd like to thank our topical editor and host today, Dr. Mika Moy, and our topical expert, Dr. Andrew Mick. And now it's my pleasure to begin today's broadcast. Welcome to the American Academy of Optometry Foundation's Clinical Podcast Series. In this episode, we'll be discussing a paper that explores the efficacy of topical rogue kinase inhibitors in severe glaucoma in a veteran population. My name is Dr. Mika Moy, and our guest expert for this episode is Dr. Andrew Mick. Dr. Mick completed a residency in ocular disease and is currently a clinical attending at the San Francisco VA Medical Center, where he works with many veterans with glaucoma. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you for the invitation. I will also comment that this paper was published in the Academy's own journal, Optometry and Vision Science. So we'll be discussing an article that uh, is, is part of the Academy family. Correct. And the title of this article is officially Effectiveness of Topical Rogue Kinase Inhibitors in Veterans with Severe Glaucoma on Maximally Tolerated Medical Therapy. And uh, the author is uh, Reza Kianian and colleagues. So, Andrew, let's start. What hypothesis did the authors want to explore in this paper? Well, the authors were, were uh, at essentially attempting to answer the question of whether or not the addition of natarsidil, a rogue kinase inhibitor, to uh, the management of, or I should say, the glaucoma drugs that were being uh, prescribed to a group of veterans within the West LA VA healthcare system who had advanced glaucoma and were on maximum medical therapy. I'll put that in air quotes uh, because that, that varies from person to person, but in the study, it was anywhere from two to four um, baseline drugs before the natarsidil was answered. So I realize I, I, I phrased that as a question. So it, you asked me about a hypothesis. So I'll say, does natarsidil have additional beneficial effect when added to multiple other drugs in a veteran population was the hypothesis that was being tested. Right. And that hypothesis would probably, we thought of that because it's supposed to have a different mechanism of action, correct? Yeah, so uh, natarsidil, and, and one of the reasons why there was a lot of interest and excitement about this particular drug is, is that it does have a different mechanism. So most people's uh, first-line therapy for glaucoma tends to be prostaglandin analogs, which uh, uh, increase uveoscleral outflow, or a beta blocker, which is an aqueous suppressant. And then secondary therapies tend to be other aqueous suppressants like alpha agonists or carbonic anhydrase inhibitors. Natarsidil lowers interocular pressure by a different mechanism. It's, it essentially increases trabecular meshwork outflow, and it does so by essentially affecting the contractility of cells that are within the trabecular meshwork, which change their shape and, and kind of how rigid they are to regulate flow through the trabecular meshwork. There's a little bit of, of debate on whether or not there's other secondary mechanisms of natarsidil, which included a, a decrease in episcleral venous pressure, in addition to a, a moderately low effect on aqueous production, but its main mechanism of action is through this increase in trabecular meshwork outflow. So in theory, if you've got other drugs that you're treating patients with who are on aqueous suppressants and prostaglandin analogs, which affect uveoscleral outflow, then maybe we can get some additional lowering because of this new mechanism, this increase in trabecular meshwork outflow facility. So it seems like this this the question they were trying to answer is a pretty good question to attempt to answer. Can yep. we get even more on someone who's already perhaps on our first line, second line therapy? So yep. what did they find? 
Well, uh, they, they found their hypothesis, if, if they go with how we stated it, was in fact correct, that in a percentage of patients, it wasn't 100% of patients, but in a percentage of patients, they got an additional IOP lowering. So in this population of, of uh, glaucoma patients, they included all patients who were started on Tarsidil over a two-year period. It included both open-angle glaucoma patients, but also some secondary uh, glaucomas in addition to um, um, uh, angle closure glaucoma. And what they found is overall in that population, within the first four months after starting Natarsidil, they saw about a 16% additional reduction of interocular pressure. After four months, and they went up to 20 months in the particular study in one individual, it was about a 12% reduction. So there was an initial 16% to 12% on average in the overall glaucoma population. Specifically to open angle glaucoma patients, there was a 15% reduction in interocular pressure in the initial four months and then it decreased a little bit to that 13% in the, four, in the beyond four month period. So uh, hypothesis proven in a percentage of patients um, who uh, were in this study. To give you an idea of the percentages, about 30% of individuals in the population experienced a 20% reduction in interocular pressure. So that's, that's a, the good group. But they also were very honest and pointed out that about 40% of individuals failed to have uh, a 10% lowering. So there were definitely some folks that did not have a significant lowering. And that 40% went to 57% in that second period after four months. So it was variable, but a significant percentage of people did have a significant amount of lowering. So um, hypothesis somewhat proven. Okay. Well, would you say there were any particular strengths or limitations uh, in the design of the study? Well, I think one of the big strengths is, is that they're, they're essentially attempting to answer a question where there's a relative lack of information. So, you know, there's not a lot of, of information about uh, uh, the effectiveness of Natarsidil in populations that are kind of that we all have in our practices. So this population had both angle closure. This patient had secondary uh, glaucomas. This patient uh, uh, had a large percentage of African-Americans. Um, so I appreciate uh, that the authors attempted to, to answer this question. Um, as we all know, glaucoma affects African-Americans disproportionately, and it tends to be a more aggressive disease. So they had a large percentage of African-Americans in the study. That was definitely a strength. And as they pointed out in their own methods, they actually had multiple med, um, measurements of interocular pressure after initiation of, of natarsidil. And that's not necessarily what you always see in retrospective studies like this. I think it was 50% uh, or so of individuals had at least three measurements after intarsidil was starting and 100% had two. So those are definitely the strengths. The weaknesses really are a function of the, of the retrospective chart review design, right? So they didn't randomize the, the, the time of day that all the interocular pressure measurements were made. They didn't, rand, they didn't unify or um, standardize, I should say, the time that they measured the interocular pressures after the start of natarsidil. Mm -hmm. um, so, and so, you know, it's kind of this, the, the limitations are essentially a function of the retrospective uh, study. I will also say that their sample size was a little small and they were very honest about this in their discussion. They started out with 200 patients who were started on natarsidil during the study period and that windowed all the way down to 42 patients that were actually included in the analysis because so many patients uh, met exclusion criteria. So small sample size and kind of problems with retrospective design were the weaknesses. Okay, so one thing that I know in theory, if you're on a statin um, for hyperlipidemia, that's supposed to make rokinase inhibitors less effective. And they did look at that in this study, didn't they? 
Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, and it was kind of a second hypothesis. In other words, if patients are on systemic statins, does that diminish the uh, effectivity of IOP lowering um, in patients taking nidarsidil? And I've actually heard a little bit about that, but I actually had to go look up the mechanism for that because I wasn't real solid on the mechanism. Um, the, the systemic statins actually influence um, serum cholesterol levels by inhibiting this enzyme in this important metabolic pathway. And it turns out that that same metabolic pathway creates intermediates which essentially activate Rho and its downstream effector, Rho kinase. And so by inhibiting enzymes within the cascade, um, that that's doing a good thing. It's, it's decreasing uh, systemic or, or serum cholesterol levels. It may potentially also affect the, uh, natarsidil, which acts on another um, essentially product of that same enzymatic cascade. In the study, though, they, they found that, in fact, that it did not. It, uh, they didn't see a significant difference in the amount of IOP lowering in those individuals who were taking statins. Interestingly, in those, when I went to the literature and was kind of looking at that mechanism, a lot of people are proposing that there's probably a dose-dependent amount of statin use, and it, it may just be that these individuals were not on a high enough dose of statin to really see that outcome that the, that the authors were hypothesizing might be present. So we may have to kind of just look at what is the systemic dose. And again, we don't know from this study the dose that those patients were on as far as their systemic statin use. And it may just be that they were under a level of statin concentration in their bodies to really have a profound effect on the additional use of metarsidil. I mean, that must be good news because I can imagine probably a large proportion of your patients at the Veterans Affairs Hospital are on a statin, aren't they? Yeah, they are a, a tremendously high level. In fact, th there's been studies in the United States, about 30 to 40% of all adults over the age of 40 in the United States are on a statin. And when you take into account those who have a diagnosis of um, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, it jumps up to almost 60%. So I would say well over about half, if not more of all my patients, um, you know, when you look at the average age of those who are diagnosed with glaucoma are on a statin. So I thought that was a really interesting kind of side hypothesis from the study. All right, we're almost out of time. Bottom line this for me, should we change anything we're doing in our glaucoma practices based on this study or should we consider changing anything we're doing? Well, it does give us another option in our patients who are on, you know, quote unquote, maximum medical therapy. You know, patients who are on two to three medications that are, that are essentially, as we pointed out, um, um, utilizing a different mechanism of action to lower interocular pressure. I think it's going to be in the same discussion as selective laser trabeculoplasty, which, which I think would be a common um, additional uh, treatment option when you get to that point, when you're on two to three medications and you're looking to add the third. The downside in the tarsal, as, as has been discussed in other studies, um, and it actually was one of the exclusion criteria in this uh, cohort of patients in the study is, is that it tends to cause um, hyperemia. In the, you know, the trials, the mercury trial and the rocket trial, which were essentially the, the trials that allowed it to be approved uh, for use uh, in the United States, hyperemia significantly was found in about 50% of patients. And so a lot of these patients already have some hyperemia and the addition of intarsidil would, would push them a little bit further. But having said that, some patients are apprehensive about laser. Some, uh, in some practices, laser isn't available. And of course, Medications and laser would be highly preferable over a more, uh, you know, more invasive drainage device and or trabeculectomy with all the complications that are associated with it. So it's, it's promising. It's, it's a good reminder that this is another option for us in those maximally treated glaucoma patients. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Mick. Thank you for the invitation, Dr. Moy. 
and a special thanks to CooperVision for their educational grant to make it all happen. 